Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. We'll dive right into our episode today on the film adaptation momentarily. I just wanted to give a slight disclaimer. The first half hour or so of today's episode, we discuss Meryl Streep's recent Cecil B. DeMille Award speech in which she criticized our now president, Donald Trump. Uh, I wanted to give fair warning. If anybody was sensitive to that and doesn't want to hear our thoughts on that, you might want to skip about a half hour or so ahead. We believe in free speech, but we also don't want to turn anybody off. And uh, so we just wanted to let you know in case that was something you were not interested in hearing about. Again, about a half hour or so and we start discussing the film adaptation. If you like our podcast, we hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to it. We were thrilled by the response we got to our first episode. We thank you for being here, and here's today's episode. Well, hello, everybody. We're back for another episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you tonight, Meryl? I am excellent. How are you, Zach? I'm good, thanks. I guess we should, like, every time I say that, I'm going to have to, like, really carefully, we're doing a podcast about another Meryl, so just saying, how are you, Meryl? <laughs> and I think, oh, they got Meryl Streep. How are you, Meryl McNally? <laughs> and then they hear my voice and are epically disappointed. <laughs> like, that's not no, Meryl not, not disappointed, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, that's one of the things that is just a perfect reason that we're doing this podcast. Your name is also Meryl. Um, yeah. So a lot has happened in the couple of weeks since our first episode landed. First of all, yeah. um, the day after we talked, I think we were referencing it. In fact, I think I, if I remember correctly, I reminded you because I think you'd forgotten that Meryl was getting the Cecil uh-huh. B. DeMille Award. And then things went a little crazy with the Cecil uh, yeah, B. DeMille Award. Yeah, not going to forget now. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's maybe just dive right in. Maybe we should have a little disclaimer. Yeah. I'm not feeling particularly punchy tonight, so I'm not saying I'm going to like be wound up about this, but you know, certainly not our goal to alienate people. Um, so if there are people who were offended by Meryl Streep's speech who don't want to listen to other people analyze her speech, maybe just skip ahead 10, 15 minutes. Is, you know, it is what it is. Like I said, we're not trying to make anybody feel uncomfortable, but I don't know. I, I'm pretty politically aligned with Meryl Streep, at least in the speech that she gave. Actually, I am pretty universally aligned with Meryl Streep politically, but um, <laughs> yeah. So let's just let's just dive in. So let's start with um, Viola, Viola Davis gave a beautiful, wonderful introduction to her that was just personal and sweet and endearing. Um, how did you feel about Viola Davis's introduction? Oh, it was uh it was so powerful. I I um I I almost felt un, uncomfortable. <laughs> like I was like I was I was invited to witness this exchange between them that almost seemed private and I and I say that as a compliment. It was really really beautiful and uh mm-hmm. I was completely impressed by 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 Viola Davis and, yeah. and her introduction of her. They clearly share a, a very, very close bond. It was mm-hmm. it was lovely. But it didn't also be, you know, a lot of the speech. Now, this is, again, a couple of weeks ago now, so it's hard to, I should have reminded myself and watched the, the speech again to remind myself. But, you know, part of it that surprised me was the idea that, you know, not that she would be intimidated by Meryl Streep, because I think probably anybody would, 
but, you know, if from the sounds of it, she kind of came from the same place that, like, if you or I were on a set with Meryl Streep, I think we would approach it the same way, but, like, you know, inside you're freaking out, but outwardly you just, like, you don't bug her. You just, like, talk about your day because, like, you know, she gets enough of that, <laughs> and you don't want to do that to her. But at the same time, like, doesn't everybody want to tell Meryl Streep or their hero, whoever that is, what they mean to them? You know, and, and how... Oh, yeah. And how weird must that be for Meryl Streep? Because she must get that in nearly every day. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's got to be... How do you take that in after a certain point? I don't know. I don't know. I imagine I would be the exact same way, though. Like, you, you know, if you ever had an opportunity to act in a film with Meryl Streep, you, you would absolutely want to play it cool, right? Yeah. Like, I got this. It's fine. It's fine, and inside you would be screaming every day, absolutely. I don't know how she does it. I think I think, um, I think, think everybody else has put her on that pedestal. I, I don't think she necessarily believes it or or takes stock in it. She just, um, uh, and I think this goes to her speech as well, I think she's very good at, at, at empathy and putting herself in other people's shoes, and it, and it, has created this amazing gift she has um, as an actor. And so she very clearly doesn't quite see it the way the rest of us do. And I think it probably makes it easier to handle it when people approach her. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I I heard her interviewed in a podcast recently. The Hollywood Reporter has been doing, Uh um, has been doing a podcast. I think it's called award show something. So basically they interview people who, are, um, you know, up for awards. So, you know, usually the Oscars or Golden Globes or whatever. And um, so, you know, they landed her. This is one of those things that uh, managed to, uh, you know, get Denzel Washington, all like, you know, all sorts of people who never do podcasts, you know, but they, but this one gets everybody. And um, so they, the, the host asked her something about, you know, how how do you manage how do you how do you cope with everybody in the world referring to you as the greatest actress of you know first it was the greatest actress of our generation and now for a lot of people it's the greatest actress of all time how do you deal with that and basically she I, I can't remember exactly how she put it again I listened to it you know three weeks four weeks ago and she she said you know it's really kind of she she made it sound as if it really bothered her like it was upsetting at this point you know which I'm sure is I, I well actually I shouldn't say I'm sure but I'm guessing is maybe not how she really actually feels about it I, I'm sure it's not you know it's not an insult of course but you got to wonder the flip side to it if there is any sort of like negative component to that does that get in the way of of what you're trying to do ever if you're just constantly being told you're the best you're the best you know I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never been I've never been yeah. in those shoes. <laughs> Me either. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. It, I mean it it certainly puts a lot of pressure on a person. Yeah. Um and, and I yeah. don't know if she feels that or not. Um That's but, probably yeah, it's, it. it's a lot to shoulder. I think it's yeah. I think it's offered in utter adoration though. Um and I imagine that can be uncomfortable too. Mhm. Well, you know. Oh yeah, and it's got to be. I was I was going to say a minute ago. I was thinking about like her more recent performances. You've got to wonder if there might be like some sense of satisfaction and like relief almost in like you know when she does a project like 
let's say, August Osage County, which she did a few years ago, where she's around other, maybe not quite as iconic actors and actresses, but, you know, Julia Roberts and, you know, like people, Chris mm-hmm. Cooper again, and, you know, all sorts of people who've who've been around long enough that they're, you know, they, they're probably going to be capable of being cool around her rather than doing, you know, some of these movies with younger people who, you know, grew up with Meryl, idolizing Meryl Streep. And, and you got to wonder if, like, when she does a movie like that, she isn't a little bit like, well, at least I'll kind of get to, you know, be a normal person yeah. for a little while. Um, but so it was that that element to me was was really interesting about Viola's introduction. I thought it was beautiful. It was kind of like you say, almost like witnessing. Um, it was like being at a table with two old friends, and you've known one of them a little bit, but that you know they're catching up, and you're just kind of there for it. It wasn't for yeah. us that introduction. It wasn't for us. It was for her, which I thought was really great. You know. Um, so yeah, I, I love that. Then they gave um, they they did the montage, which to me was a little bit of a letdown. I have to say, it wasn't horrible, but yeah. I I didn't get much out of that montage. Well, especially since there were like what two lines of dialogue in the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> yeah. like that they and that's the power the singing, of Meryl. No, I'm I'm with you. I think um, I I like that they focused on her singing. They, you know, they they did a couple of things where she was singing in various movies. I like that element of it, but I guess. Yeah. And it comes at the expense of, like, then it's basically just showing pictures of her, you know? And and that's fine, but it's not really, you know, I don't know. There could have been more is all, I, is all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially when you consider the award she was winning. I mean, she was winning an yeah. award for, you know, a lifetime achievement in acting, and we saw um, very little acting in the montage. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And then, um, you know, the... Standing and ovation. Then she <laughs> then she speaks, and she starts. Uh, you know, she had lost her voice. Um, something that I I'm not sure that a lot of people might have picked up on. Um, she she started it by saying that you know she lost her voice at uh, you know all the oh, what did she call it the the, the adulation or something. Um, La- lamentation, I, I think maybe is what lamentations. She said. Yeah. I think yeah. I even wrote it down here. The Lamentations, and I think um, people were kind of maybe not sure what that meant, um, but I, I think she was talking about Carrie Fisher's funeral. Um, mm-hmm. Because the it, it was right after Carrie Fisher had passed away, and so Carrie Fisher's daughter, Billy Lord, who is on a, a TV show now with Jamie Lee Curtis um, called Screen Queens, I think it's called. Um, yes. Uh, was uh, through basically one one more party in, in honor of both Carrie Fisher and her mother Debbie Reynolds who died a, a day apart, and um, so all these people, you know, the, Carrie of course had thrown hundreds of parties over the years where everybody showed up, and I'm sure Meryl Streep was a regular presence at those. They were good friends, and um, yeah. so Meryl Meryl went as a lot of people did, and they said that she she was singing and she sang Carrie Fisher's favorite song, which is happy days are here again. And she said by the, mm-hmm. and somebody reported that by the end, you know, everybody was singing and it was a, there was a very big thing. So I think that's what, what maybe lost her voice, which is neither here nor there in the scheme of things, but it does help to have some sort of context. Um, and then, and then it really started. And, and, um, <clears throat> She used it, as as most people know. Uh, she used her time, her lifetime achievement over time, to uh, kind of rail against the president-elect, uh, Mr. Trump. And uh, it yeah. was, 
it was very well received in the room. Uh, you could tell, uh, but mm-hmm. it it uh, and I think overall it played very divisively. I think there are people who loved it and people who hated it. What was what yeah. was your reaction? Um, yeah, I had a I had a mixed reaction. Um, I I've I've been in several debates about you know whether whether artists, particularly film actors, should use to use those uh, moments, you know, at award uh-huh. ceremonies as a platform for their own personal beliefs. And, right. um, uh, uh, you know, I'm sort of of the opinion that we live in America and, and obviously we we have the ability to speak freely in this country, which is a blessing. And I'm of the opinion that Meryl Streep can get up on stage and, talk about whatever she wants. <laughs> yep, and so I I was not I was not angered by it. Um and I think ultimately her message was a message of uh see- seeking kindness and and empathy and um I I didn't hear her actually say anything insulting or rude I to our now president Trump. Right. And um, I, I understand politically she's not aligned with Trump, but um, I, I think her call for empathy was not a call to war for the other, you right. know, half of America who doesn't agree. Right. Um, you know, I, I was off, I was watching the award ceremony with people who were absolutely upset by it, and, and who are who are Trump supporters who who got up and left. And um, I, I did I did obviously didn't have the same reaction. I am. Um, I am not personally a, a, a Trump fan or supporter. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I see both sides of it, but I say everyone is entitled to, if you've got the platform, you use it. You, yeah. you also have a right to dislike it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, that, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's an important distinction. I, I think we're both of agreement. And actually, I've never heard anybody say this. This is one of those things where, you know, um, you are entitled to feel however you feel about it. That's that's you know you are allowed to have whatever. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you thought it was the wrong thing to do, you know that's that's fine. I suppose for you. I mean, you weren't you weren't the person doing it. My if I can kind of share my my sure. experience with that. I actually still haven't watched the Golden Globes. I I haven't had cable for for a number of years now. I don't. I live kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and I don't even get local channels. We, I do the Hulu and Netflix thing, but so I wasn't uh-huh. watching the Golden Globes. I've actually been meaning to, you know, usually somebody puts it up on YouTube within a week or so, so I've been meaning to go back yeah. and watch it. I did, of course, go back and watch that segment, um, her speech, um, and and Viola Davis's introduction as well. Um, so I I didn't know what was happening, and my Facebook kind of lit up with people saying, um, you know, positive things about Meryl Streep. I love Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. The thing I saw very often was if I didn't already love Meryl Streep, I do now. Things like that. But like I couldn't love her more than I do in this moment. And I thought, you know, my expectation of it was she's kind of known at this point for giving really funny speeches. She's become like, Emma Thompson is this way too, where like you (laughs) want to see them get the award not just in recognition of their work because they're going to say something really great, you know, like you just kind of want to see what they say. And uh, so I thought, oh, she must have given a really great speech, you know, awesome. And then I saw a couple 
where people were saying maybe not great things about Meryl Streep. Not, not, not a lot of them, but I started to get the impression, oh, something went down, something happened here. And um, so I started looking, and um, then it wasn't long before people had put it up, and I, I heard it. And I, I was, first of all, there was something about the fact that she had lost her voice that really made you lean in to the speech. You know, mm-hmm. there, was, there yeah. was just, and she had such a presence on that stage. There was a huge part of me that is curious about how nervous. She, I mean, she did not come across in any way nervous, but I, I, I do wonder, you know, she, she was giving a very pointed, even though she never said his name, you know, mm-hmm. there was something about this speech. She had to know it would be, to some people, controversial. So, you know, when you know you're about to do something like that, there is a big, yeah. you know, there's kind of a little bit of adrenaline. And what was great about her was I didn't see that adrenaline. I didn't see that, like, you know, burst of, like, I'm going to do something that's going to upset people. I saw this, like, really very thought out, very, um, very I thought it was a moving speech. I, I thought it was brilliant. And I, I loved what she was saying. And it goes back to what you were saying about it wasn't, mean-spirited. There was nothing mean-spirited about it. It was saying we need to be nice to each other. And, you know, I I could go on for a very long time about how I feel about Trump. Um, But it doesn't matter because, you know, it's not the elements that a lot of us have concerns about that she was talking about. It was the idea that, you know, he had mocked a disabled reporter, which is verifiable. You know, he, of course, right. denied that that ever happened. He put out a thing saying, oh, she's, you know, spreading this rumor when, in fact, of course, it's on video. Like so many other things he denies, it is provable. We can show him the tape of him doing it. And those are those are motions that he does and those are affectations that he does that cannot be misinterpreted. What he did was unkind and it was he took advantage of a moment for a cheap laugh at, at the expense of somebody who had no way to defend themselves. And, and that's an awful thing to do to somebody with a disability. And you, 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 that doesn't mean, if, if it were that alone, that's not a reason to, to hate somebody. Anybody can make a mistake. But, you know, the fact that he's still not owned that mistake is really bothersome to me personally. I, I, I find it really upsetting that what came out of the, the Meryl Streep conversation was not, I need to apologize for this. It became denying that it ever happened. That is <laughs> insane to me. Yeah. And, you know, well, <laughs> I mean, his response was, was sort of standard and that he sort of lashes out. And um, right. I just laughed when I read his response that Meryl Streep is a second-rate actress. <laughs> yeah, overrated, you know, I think. Was you know, thing. Mr. Trump. President yeah. Trump, you can say a lot of things, but I don't think that one's actually. I well, don't think anyone's going to buy that one. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of okay. So that's that's the next step to it, of of course. So it's a mo- moving, beautiful thing. We could talk at length again about this. There are, there are other elements to it. I would love to analyze at some point um, the reactions of the yeah. other people in the room because there were some kind of funny ones actually, but. We'll, we'll skip over that. That doesn't really matter in the scheme of things either. But like you say, so the next sure. day or maybe later that night in a, you know, 2 a.m. Twitter meltdown, as he's been having, he, he lashes out and says, you know, Meryl Streep is overrated and um, something like that. Yeah, overrated. And uh, it was funny because, of course, that became a social media thing as well. 
And uh, there were a lot of people who yep. said exactly what you just said. You know, you, you've said some of the craziest stuff, uh, Trump, and, and we've kind of let it slide. But calling Meryl Streep overrated, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> right. it, it's, it's kind of nuts to, to do something like that. I mean, I can't think of somebody in that field who's more revered, universally revered. You know what I mean? I can't think of anybody yeah. who has achieved the same level of there are great actors and actresses and there's Meryl Streep. You know what I mean? Like, there's nobody who's touched right. her in, in maybe ever, but I mean, like, she is a legend and has been a legend for a really long time now. Um, and calling her overrated. And the best part, of the, I, this I wish had gotten around a little bit more than it did. It, it burned up really quickly. But yeah, a few people passed around this interview that he did. Oh, I can't remember. I feel like it was a Hollywood recording. Yes. It, it might just be because I just said that for the other thing. That he did an interview with somebody in 2015 where they asked him who his favorite actors and actresses <laughs> were, and who did he say? Meryl, <laughs> Meryl Streep. And he even, he even added, oh, and by the way, she's also a really great person or a really nice person. I can't remember which one of those two, but he, he said those well, words. Well, I think she's off the list now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you know, this is another example of what we've been talking about, this idea of, you know, overrated. Well, a year earlier she wasn't overrated. She was also your favorite, you know. Um, yeah. I, I've got a question this. for you. Sure. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say kind of one more thing um, and then maybe yeah. move on from this. But was your question in line with, with what we're talking about? It is. It is. My question for you is if you were in her shoes mm-hmm. and um and maybe not maybe not a lifetime achievement award, but even just winning a golden globe for 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 a role um would you would you use the platform politically yeah i would um i'm would. I'm very much of that mind uh, you know my my shows are pretty political at this point too yes i would i I did find it interesting, would you? No, I don't think I would. Okay, um, and that's what's so that's what's so interesting, right? That's I mean that's where the divide comes in this debate. Is I I think it's perfectly fine that she did. Would right. I get up and do it? No, probably right. not. But that's more more of a personal choice in that I don't right. I don't like conf, conflict over politics. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, no. That's yeah. That's it's an important distinction because I think you know there, it takes a certain amount of not really caring about the negative feedback you're going to get. It takes some chutzpah is what it oh, takes. Yeah. And I think that's what I've got the most respect for. Yeah. Is, I mean, there were going to be a large – she always knew there was going to be a massive part of the population that wasn't uh, going to like it and that right. she would receive public backlash for it. She had to have known. She's been in the public eye long enough. She knows She knows what the game is. She yeah. – she made a speech to call everyone to empathy and love, knowing that she would get an opposite reaction. And I have a lot of respect for that. Yeah, um, a lot. And she's, she's also been public, publicly political before. You know what I mean? This is not yeah the first yeah, time that not she's a first kind time. of gone for it. This is this is one of the first times that I remember that it wasn't done for a laugh. That it was done as seriously as it was. And to yeah. kind of further your thought, you know, in, in regards to your question, I, the one thing, and it's a key difference because, as you say, it was a Lifetime Achievement Award that she was getting and not mm-hmm. an award for a specific performance because 
when you get an award for a specific performance, there's an expectation that you thank the director and the writer and the co-stars and all of that. There was no True. expectation of that for a Lifetime Achievement she had, Award. She had some more freedom, for sure. She had more freedom, but there's also, it's also very interesting that she didn't thank anybody. She didn't thank anybody. She thanked, well, no, that's not true. She did thank the Hollywood Foreign Press. In fact, kind of kind of made that part right. of the joke. Which people misinterpreted that, too. The, the whole thing about how, um, you know, the Hollywood Foreign Press is the most maligned group. You know, people were saying, oh, oh right. now, you know, now movie stars are, you know, the most attacked group. Get over yourself. And that's not what she was talking about at all. No. Um, it she was, was a thinking joke. a joke. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I found it interesting that she didn't, and I'm not saying she should have, but, you know, she didn't thank her husband or her kids or anything like that. She really used the time that she had uh, for a purpose. I respect it. Again, it's it's right up my alley. I loved it. But I understand. Um, I don't know if I do understand. I You know, I'm trying to be, like, really, I'm trying to be really civil about it. But here's here's where it comes down to it for me. Um, <laughs> you know, she um there are there are there's this thing that has been said and in fact I've had family members post things you know in regards to that the it is not an actor you you referenced this earlier it's not an actor's place it's not a singer's place to be political it's your job to entertain us and to take us away from those things I find and that I find the statement horribly insulting I find it offensive as, yeah. as an artist in a couple of different disciplines, I that is the worst thing that you can say to me in regards to art. You do not tell me what I'm allowed to say or sing about. When I put on my guitar, I do not yeah. forfeit my First Amendment rights. That is not... Nope. It, it's not part of the deal. You, as a consumer, get to choose not to support my products, and I understand that in saying what I say. Yeah. But you do not get to tell me that I have no right. And furthermore, this idea that came about that Meryl Streep should shut up and act is absurd oh. when coming from oh. that side because I want those people to explain Ronald Reagan to me. He was a movie star who became a president. I want those people to explain Arnold Schwarzenegger to me. He is, again a movie star who became governor of California. Both those guys are very strong Republicans. I want them to explain Donald Trump to me. He is a reality television star. He's not allowed to get political. I don't understand. I don't understand the argument. Yeah. I think um, I think when you... We, we, we've talked a little bit about this. Um, I think there's this interesting reaction. When you're watching, you know, we... we we feel like we know celebrities that we love and, and whose movies and TV shows and music we love. And, and we have this idea that they're a part of our life. And when they, they get up on a public platform like that and give a speech about um, politics or, or whatever that doesn't align with what your belief system is, but you still invited that person into your home in a way Mm-hmm. It's, I, I think it feels um, um, like a, 
like a betrayal. Uh, and, and I'm not sure that's a conscious reaction. I think it's a normal psychological reaction. You know, and so you you don't want the image of that person ruined in your mind. I understand what you're saying. However, I, yeah, I, think I mean, I dis- I disagree with it. I think if yeah. people stopped and thought about it for a second, um, you know, I mean, that's that's what art is. And, and you right. know, a lot of these actors in Hollywood do come from a stage background. Theater more than film now. Film is very corporate right now. But, mm-hmm. but theater, uh, you know, new theater de- is designed to 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 deal with political issues, to deal with uh, fringe issues, to push your buttons, to make you think. Right. I mean, that's what it is. And yeah. so to to say that an artist is is not supposed to have that voice is it's just ludicrous. I, I agree. And, you yeah. know, it, it's, I, I'm glad that you said that you didn't necessarily subscribe to that because I, I understand what you're saying and I understand that people feel that way. I think it, you need to ask more of yourself as a conscientious yeah. audience member because, you know, for example, when Clint Eastwood did his talking to an empty chair thing at the Republican National Convention, whatever right. year that was, I didn't lose my mind over that. I didn't care. I mean, Some I thought it was did. funny because it was crazy. No, I understand that. I'm yeah. not, this is, I don't want to, I don't want to imply that like one side is worse at this than the other. Okay. I think there are people on right, all right. sides that are crazy about this. But that's what I'm saying is like, I wasn't offended by that. He's, he's entitled to have a political opinion. Yeah. I, you know, I I, I'm not, yeah. I'm not upset when, you know, yeah. Tim Allen goes on one of his Republican rants, which by the way, his television show is, pretty political they get a lot they got a lot of jabs at hillary and obama in his i think it's called last man standing you know i mean yeah. i don't care i can handle that um you know and it's one of those things where you can't possibly look and be overjoyed when your side does it and be offended when the other side does it you can't be a hypocrite about it and it's very yeah. similar to like what happened years ago with in the I always think in terms of the music industry, too, as a musician, but what happened to the Dixie Chicks, you know? Um, they they were just destroyed. They they received death threats. They received yeah. countless protests o- over what they said. And there is a subtle difference in that what they said that offended people, they also happened to say in London. So there was an element of, like, right. you didn't even say it here. I personally don't even care about that aspect of things, Um it was what they said that bothered people. And they made a remark that was critical of George Bush. And, you know, country music mm-hmm. turned on them and in, in a very serious way. They went through a lot. And a few years later, when Obama was president, Carrie Underwood and Brad Paisley, I think, I think that's that guy's name, were um, yes. hosting an awards show. I didn't see it, but people were posting all these uh, anti-Obama jokes that were made, that people were openly applauding for. And I thought, isn't this the same community that just trashed the Dixie Chips for being political? Why is it okay now? Why? Yeah. I need that explained to me because it's not okay if you're allowing one side to do it and not the other. So, you know what? They can make their Obama jokes. Fine. I get it. But then the Dixie Chips can say what they want, too. And we're not allowed to... You know, censorship is not a good thing. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think I think the bigger question is why are we why are we as a nation becoming offended by other people's opinions? Yeah. Now, now I, I I'm talking about within the realm of decency, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, when when you're dealing with you know things that go beyond that, it's a whole different ballgame. But but when you're talking about just your run of the mill political opinions on things, why? Um, uh, you know, why is there so much venom? I I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. I think it's unfortunate. It's unnecessary. I think it's also part of the political landscape at this point. I think it's, it's yeah. become really volatile in the political uh, landscape, and so that kind of filters on down, so to speak. Yeah, so actually, before we kind of leave the awards show thing, yeah. the last question, which is not political at all, do you think that the speech and the attention that it got helped, hurt, or did nothing to her Oscar nominations chances? Do you think it affected those in any way? Oh, you know, there are a lot of old conservative white guys in the academy. Yeah. And it is quite possible that it could hurt. Would I like to think it doesn't? No. She's Meryl Streep, so I'm thinking, you know, there's a possibility um, that that overrides all other things, but I don't know. There's a possibility it hurts, for sure. Right. Yeah. I um, I, I looked at, I don't know if you're familiar with Gold Derby. Do you know goldderby.com? No. It's a website that no. predicts all these things. It's kind of, kind of funny. Um, but they predict yeah. all the, you know, awards show, you know, who will get nominated, who will win kind of stuff. And um, I I actually think for her, she's become more of a, a lock for a nomination, believe it or not. And actually, so Do has you? Chanel. Yeah. Well, according to to this website, I'm, I'm not saying that that's how I feel about it. But, right. Um, okay. But uh, it, it's interesting because so has Isabel. Hoover. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think she was maybe on the fringes for being nominated a couple weeks ago. But um, mm-hmm. she's pretty solidly in there with the, with the Golden Globe win. And actually, you know who's been kind of edged out? The the way it sits right now is is Merrill's in that fifth slot, which pushed out um, Annette Benning. Did it push actually. Out? No, surely According, not. I hope not. I hope not. I still think I'm kind of pulling for her to win the whole thing. <laughs> so I hope she's. I'm at sort least of curious nominated. about Natalie Portman too. Um, although I think she's a darling of the Academy. But, you know, yeah. um, Isabella Hooper twin over her at the Golden Globes was sort of a surprise. Yeah. Well, I, so I think I the ones that she we... Could add that. Yeah. I think the ones that we talked about last time was being um, kind of sure things with Emma Stone, Natalie Portman, and um, Amy Adams. I think those three are still, you know, you could you could probably safely write them down. And then the other two spots are... Something from that combination of, you know, Annette Benning, Meryl Streep, and um, Isabella Hooper, uh, with the possibility of that Ruth Nega sneaking in. She's kind of been edged out according mm-hmm. to most prediction things, too. And actually, one of the things um, that I recently, we just saw the other night, was was Hidden Figures. Have you seen that one yet? Seven I ju- yeah, I saw it. I saw it two we- uh, weekend before last. Isn't it good? Oh. Oh my gosh, I can't yeah, I can't remember the last time I sat down and watched a film and had nothing critical to say. Yeah. And that's how I felt about that film. It was just just really really lovely. Yeah. So well done. 
Those yeah, actresses so, were phenomenal. So Taraji P. Hansen is kind of in that oh. seventh spot. And to tell you the truth, I would love to see her in there. I would love yes. to see her in there. I, she gave as good a performance as anybody that I've seen in a really long time. I mean, that's... Uh, that nomination would be incredibly well deserved. She was yeah. phenomenal. I can't I can't say enough good things about her performance in that movie. Yeah, Octavia Spencer is likely to be you know to land in the supporting actress um, field uh, again. This is all under the assumption that Vi- uh, yeah Viola Davis is nominated in the supporting actress category for Fences rather than lead actress, which we talked about, that would be kind of a shock if they just right. kind of switched her category on her, but it has happened before. Um, yeah. So, anyway, yeah, so it'll be interesting. I actually think the Oscar nominations are announced on Tuesday or Thursday this week, I think. One of the Tuesday. Two. Yeah, so we'll find Tuesday. out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if, if a nomination is coming or not. I think it's really, I that could either. go either way. I think it's two slots for three people. I think there are enough fantastic performances, and this is, this is of course, I've not seen Florence Bostridge fans, and I'm sure Meryl Streep has given a stellar performance, as always. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's so much competition this year um, that I feel like it could go either way, especially considering the number of nominations she's had in the past. Right. Yep, you kind of wonder how much that plays a factor at a certain point. There is, and, and I mean, yeah, that do they feel like they can't ways. not give her one? Exactly. You would think it would right. go the other way, which is like, oh, she's been, you know, she's won three, she's been nominated a billion other times, she's been there. But there is something about that, like the legacy at this point, that it's like you, you also want to like. You want to nominate her for everything because she's just universally again recognized as like so perfect, you know. So you yeah. want that, you you know, you want to keep doing it. But there is a little bit of that, you know, Academy. We've got to spread the love thing too. <laughs> right, right. I don't know. It'll be interesting. We can talk about it in our next episode. Yeah, we'll know by true. then. Absolutely. Okay, so yeah. let's pivot to the movie we're here to talk about today, which is Adaptation. Okay, so you hadn't seen this one in a while. I hadn't seen this one in a little while. What was your reaction to watching it again? So it came out in 2002, I believe. Yep. And that would have put me as maybe a sophomore or junior in college. And um, I remember liking it okay but I truly remembered nothing about the film nothing I knew I had seen it I knew that I had kind of liked it but that's all I could remember um, did you see it in the theater or just uh, I saw it um, I think I saw it in the theater okay Um, I'm not positive about that though I mean I don't even remember that that's how forgettable it was for me which is interesting so I um I watched it within the last three days or so. And, you know, since the time the film came out, I ended up, it was after that that I got into playwriting and actually went to grad school for dramatic writing. I ended up working in Hollywood for a producer, doing script coverage. I've edited scripts. I've worked on scripts, screenwriting. I am now more familiar with, obviously. 
and um, I ended up going to law school. So I have this sort of decade, decade to almost 15 years of of new experiences that when I watched it this time, it was just a completely different ball game. Mm-hmm. Because I understand script structure and story structure, and I was able to really um, dive into the humor that Charlie Kaufman was able to capture in the writer's process, you know, how torturous mm-hmm. it is. And so in that sense, it was 10 times more enjoyable for me this go round. Really? Okay. Yeah. Now, I mean, that being said, I don't think it's a perfect film, but um, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it much more. The thing I love about Meryl Streep's performance in this is that I, it's very rare that you see Meryl without a wig or an mm-hmm. accent or, or something that she can really hide behind. And it's those performances, like the one in Adaption, that, that I really love to watch. Because I feel like you get to see her acting skills at their finest. Right. Um, and the subtle. And she really is so wonderful. Yep. She captures, she captures that character's, um, on we very, very well. Well, okay, so she's playing a real person. Now, this is where it gets, uh, yes. you know, it's one of those things where it's hard to even try to, like, give a synopsis of this movie because it's so it's <laughs> right. so strange and wonderful. It's, it's yeah, fantastic. we should probably do that because way. I can give that explanation to our audience, but if Please they haven't do. seen the film... I would rather you attempted this than me, yeah. Okay. So Charlie Kaufman is a screenwriter and an actual person, <laughs> a screenwriter, yep. and I, I preface that because it does tie into the script, um, and, and he was tasked with a, adapting um, a, a book called The Orchid Thief by Susan Orlean, who is a writer for The New Yorker. And she's also a, a real person. Yeah. She's yes, a real person. Yes, she is a real, a real person. Book. Yeah. What he ended up doing was a play on, on structure and story where he actually wrote himself into the film, um, that, that his struggles adapting this book um, became um, his struggles on the screen. Um, the story became him trying to adapt this book. And in the process, he, he plays a, a, around a lot with structure and, and obviously reality and fiction and, and everything else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a trip. It I'm not is. even sure if that's a good explanation. No, it is. <laughs> there are there are kind of a couple elements to it, which is that like um, he finds the book, the book thief, which was originally you know going to be directed by somebody else. Like I think Jonathan Demi actually was originally attached to direct this. Really? Yeah. Okay. And so then, like you say, um, this was this was earlier. This was like 1998, 1999, something like that. And um, so Charlie Kaufman was writing the script, and, and similarly to what happens in the movie, he finds the book to be very hard to adapt. He, he finds that basically yeah. the structure of the book doesn't adapt to a movie. So like you say, that combined with other things that he was going through in real life kind of merged in this way that it became more interesting to see his struggle to adapt into a book than actually, a, you know, the adaptation of the book into a movie. Um, right. So, and so then, what you actually see, what you actually see is intercut between his struggle as a screenwriter and then these, these fictitious scenes he has created with 
Susan Orlean as a character and uh-huh. um, the subject of her book, John LaRoche, who was um, what, a horticulturalist in, yep. in Florida who who had been um, charged with uh, what? Um, Basically smuggling these very rare Yeah, they're smuggling these off of a national preserve. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. There are some people who are playing themselves like Catherine yes. Keener and the cast. Is, it starts on the set of Being John Malkovich, which is an actual film. I love film. that. Uh, yes, it's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are characters who are completely fictionized. Charlie Kaufman has written uh, a twin brother for himself that is <laughs> absolutely not real. So Right. <laughs> but has a very real credit. I mean, the movie adaptation, yes. the credit is written by Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman. And, in fact, when they were nominated with when they see, I'm guilty of it too. When when Charlie was nominated for an Academy Award, you know, it was for Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman. But they they made a special. This is one of the few times that the Academy has made like a special proclamation on a nominee that said if that was the winning picture, or you know, if if Charlie Kaufman won, that Charlie and Donald would would have to share the one Oscar. They were only given one Oscar because, of course, Donald is, as you said, a fictional, you know character so and it's it's kind of like a dual personalities kind of thing because charlie is mm-hmm. you know very depressed kind of you know frustrated for most of the movie and donald is the flip side of that is the you know the twin brother who's kind of first of all kind of leeching off of his brother you know staying at his place yeah. and taking advantage in certain ways and you know going to the film set and you know becoming friends with Catherine Keener and, you know, making, <laughs> making Charlie jealous. And um, and then, of course, you know, you find out towards the end. We don't want to get too spoilery, but, you know, he finds a kind of unprecedented degree of success. He decides he wants to be a film, uh, he, he wants right. to become a writer too. And he just kind of waltzes his way into, you know, like his big moment <laughs> while his brother, who had been established, is really struggling, you know, so it's hard right. to, to see that. So, yeah, like you say, there are these, it's like a meta movie before meta was even a concept. You know, this idea of, yes. you know, movie within a movie at the very beginning with being John Malkovich. It takes a good long time for you to really understand what's happening. And by the time you do, that's when it starts kind of intentionally going off the rails anyway. Like, you know, the second half of the movie, it, it did not happen in real life, you know. Like Susan Orlean right. like, these characters are, are hunting him, you know, so obviously he was, you know, there's all sorts of stuff in there. And in fact, when Meryl won the Golden Globe for this movie, she apologized uh-huh. to Susan Orlean for the second half. Did of she the movie. really? She did. Oh, God, thank God. Uh, listen, I think the last 30 minutes of the film is where it really goes off the rails for me. Yeah. And, I, you know, critics were mixed on that. Yep. I mean, obviously the film was, I think, universally uh, praised, but I think the critics were mixed on that third act and, and um, you know, I went back and read Roger Ebert's review. He, he loved everything about it, how it played on the very, you know, sort of mm-hmm. cliche or, or tropes in screenwriting that, that it had been railing against in the first half of the film. I, I could appreciate that structurally and as an artistic choice. I think the film... Uh, the first, you know, the first two thirds of the film are um, sort of a, a, a very 
a very beautiful reflection on what adaptation means, yep. both both in the both in the scientific and human sense, and then also you know in a screenwriting um, context. And I think that and Meryl Streep's performance plays into that because it's very very beautiful, as is Chris Cooper's. Oh yeah. I think that gets lost in the sort of smalty cheesy joke of the third uh, of the third portion of the film. Um, and maybe it was intentional. I don't know. I I didn't necessarily love that third part. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I I mean, it was obviously a wild ride. Yeah. <laughs> but it seriously, I watched has... that and I was like, man, Susan Orlean. <laughs> she must have signed all manner of waivers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was, you have to assume she was in on it. You know what I mean? Like, it, and Oh, yeah. It, it's also of the point that, like, you know, everybody would know that this wasn't, at a certain point, you know that this is not. Right, because it's so like, outrageous. Yeah, it's crazy. So, um, so yeah, we'll give a few things. So, like you say, you know, obviously Meryl's in it. I should play Susan Orlean. Chris Cooper um, gave an Oscar winning. He won Best Supporting Actor as John LaRoche. Uh, and playing the the twin brothers playing both of them was Nicolas Cage. And, you know, yeah. it was a really interesting, we'll come back to that. Some of the other folks in it, um, one of my favorite character actors ever, Brian Cox, who, who plays the um, mm-hmm. seminar guy. I think he's yes. Robert McKee. Actor. Yeah. Who's a, who's another real person. Um, yes, he is. Yeah. Uh, Tilda Swinton is in, I had kind of forgotten she was in it to tell you the truth. It's not a huge role, but you know, she's, no. she's just universally, She's just always great, too. So it was a nice thing to, like, see her. And, oh, yeah, I forgot she was in it. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal, I'd completely forgotten she was in it. And, in fact, I don't want to sound like a crazy person, but the the thing about Maggie Gyllenhaal in this movie is it there were, I don't know if anybody else will feel like this, too, but the camera stayed away from her face whenever she was in scenes. She would always kind of, like, be turning her face away until... Like halfway through the film, I found myself going, "Is that Maggie Gyllenhaal?" I couldn't tell until like forty-five minutes into it because, like, the camera was never close enough to yeah. really. Tell. I thought, "I think that's her," but I'm not positive, which I thought was really unusual. Yeah, you know, I think um, I sort of wonder if it plays into that idea. You know, when the film started, I I knew in the back of my head that that um, um, that the brother wasn't a person in real life. But I couldn't right. remember for the film if he was an actual um, oh. character slash person or if he right. was in Charlie's head. And so I feel like the camera work kind of played into that. Like it wasn't until the brothers started interacting with Maggie Gyllenhaal that I realized that, oh, no, he's actually a, a, a real person in the film. Yeah, her, the language to distinguish the two is difficult. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. Was, I I just thought that was kind of interesting. Actually, I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't figure that one out at first. But um, yeah, so it was on a whole bunch of you know year end best of lists. Uh, Roger Ebert, who you referenced mm-hmm. earlier, put it on one of his favorite movies of the decade list. You know, this movie yeah. was really well liked, um, and rightfully so. I I can't think of it, for that time, I think now we're at an age where, like, technology has come about that, like, interesting movies and movies that are being made that, like, get us to think in different ways 
Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think of Christopher Nolan's movies sometimes as that. Like, he just does really innovative things. Even even that Arrival movie that Amy Adams is in this year was a really innovative movie in a way. Yeah. Um, but for this time period, this is a really innovative movie. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't seen anything oh, yeah. close to this, with the exception, of course, of being John Malkovich, which is right. the same folks. So, go figure. Yeah, and, and Spike Jones, the director, it's really... Um, that that's sort of his signature. I, and, I mean, he really does give the audience films that, that make them really think. They mm-hmm. are groundbreaking in so many ways. Um, yeah, I, I, really, I really enjoyed it. I did Much too. more than I did when it first came out. Yeah, I, to tell you, okay, so when I was watching it a couple of days ago, I struggled with one element, which was that this is not a movie that you can do something else while watching. This is one of those movies that you kind of have to pay attention to what's going on because if you look down, you might miss something. I I know people say that about movies sometimes, but this is one of those movies that, like, you you just have to focus on it. Otherwise, you're going to miss elements of it that are important. And there were a few times that I had to, I, I rewound, and I found myself going, Wait, what just happened? Um, I don't. I don't mind that. Um, I, I kind of like that because there, you know, there are too many movies that are so formulaic that you don't really even have to pay much attention to them. But it is a different experience in that way. Yeah. So yeah, I don't absolutely. Know. It it requires your full focus. And yeah. you know, I I can imagine if you if you did split focus, it just really would not be anywhere near as enjoyable. You know, Nicolas Cage in particular, the, the movie really rides on Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Um, and he, I think he's very well suited for that role and that, you know, the character is oh, sort of manic in his eccentricities. Mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage has such an intense sort of fast uh, way of... of uh, you know what I'm talking about? He, I he just do. He, he has an intensity that sort of brings brings his dialogue to to sort of the front the front of his front of his mouth very quickly and intensely. And you just if you're not listening, you will you will miss what's so wonderful about the film because right. everything that comes out of his mouth is uh, brilliant. It's really the dialogue is phenomenal. It is. Yeah, it's great writing. It's so precise. I mean, it's a- it's a masterpiece of writing, if nothing else. Yeah. Like, regardless of how you feel about the movie, you have to acknowledge that it's just, it's utterly unique as a writing yes. piece. Um, and I think a lot of the love for this movie kind of, you know, goes to that element of it. It's interesting because if you read reviews of this, there are people who are frustrated with this movie. And I think part of it is that idea of, like, movies that are smart sometimes put people off. It, it can be rough if it seems like the movie is trying to be smart. Does that make sense? But yeah. this movie is trying to be smart. And so I think, and it's I, I think it's successful, but um, I think that has some ability to put some people off. Some people want to go to a movie uh, to escape and not have to think too much. And this is not that movie. Again, it's just like it's not going to work <laughs> if that's your goal. Uh, you're going to have to pay yeah. attention to this thing. Um, yeah. So I think this the negative reviews come from that. 
in my opinion, the ones I, that I've read. I think too. I think the film is it is it's made for a very specific audience. It's made for film critics, film darlings, yep. um, film students, um, actors, screenwriters. It's made for people who truly understand the process of writing a screenplay and and getting it to film. I mean, that's who it's really going to resonate with because it's. Truly, it's almost a giant inside joke. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. And yeah, and I can imagine, you know, that's not the movie that you say in, you know, where I live. That's not the movie you go to on a Saturday afternoon just for kicks. Right. right. <laughs> it is a very smart film. It really yeah. is. It was um, released in December of that year, so you know when movies are released in December, it's got the like the Oscar, and they're going for awards. Yeah. Stuff. It's not yeah. the summer blockbuster. Um, although, actually, it's kind of interesting because a lot of Meryl Street movies have been programmed in the summer now as like counter programming for those blockbusters <laughs> the last few years. But um, uh, it, so the movie it had a budget of nineteen million dollars, and the the domestic oh, wow. the domestic box office was thirty two point eight million. So it was successful. It made money, and I'm not sure globally what it did. Um, but, you know, it was successful. It, it made money. Um, yeah. It made almost twice as, you know, twice as much as it was. Um, yeah. I don't remember how this movie was marketed, to tell you the truth. I don't remember. Um, I don't I don't either. remember if it was like a big release that played everywhere or if it was a limited, you know, was only in some markets kind of thing. I don't remember. But um, it kind of seems like it would be somewhat limited, Um I don't know. It like you say, it would appeal to a certain audience probably, and and not another kind of audience, which is fine. It's got that same kind of appeal as like your typical Woody Allen movie in some ways. It's like it's the yeah. you know the thinking picture. You know, you've got to you've got to go and you know think about it. But I, you know, the the trio at the top, Meryl, Nicholas Cage, and Chris Cooper, just uh-huh. such good performances. I mean, it it's so good yes. to be reminded of. Boy, Nicolas Cage, when he's given really good material and he's invested, is actually a really good actor. He's great. He's really yeah. good in this. He re- he really is phenomenal. I, I think the distinction between the two, you know, the two brothers, he he plays both of them. Um, mm-hmm. It's 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 wonderful. I mean, are you ever confused which brother you're watching? No, I'm no. not. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, it's. Um, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because um, I don't know if you've watched many Nicolas Cage movies. I actually have kind of a soft spot for Nick Cage because I, I have I've a seen friend. many, yes. I, I have a friend who, um, when I was in high, we were in high school at the time, and, like, he had a job, and so, you know, he had a paycheck, and so, like, every week he would go to, like, the local Blockbuster or something where they have these, like, you know, buy four VHS tapes for 20 bucks thing. And that was, like, his, his weekly thing is he would go every week and buy four. So, you know, he was my outlet because, like, you know, I would watch all these movies with him. And it was around that time that Nicolas Cage was making all these, like, big-budget action movies like The Rock and Con Air and Con Air. Um, Face Off Face and Off. all these movies <laughs> that I still love. Those are, like, guilty yes. pleasure movies for me. Yes. And, um... <laughs> And, uh, you I know, might be I, able to quote them. Oh, me too. <laughs> I've seen those movies many, many times. But I've also seen, like, you know, I think we might have talked about this either in our last episode or just, I think maybe just even just you and I talking about it, the idea that, like, 
he's become one of those actors, John Travolta and to a certain extent mm-hmm. John Cusack have become this way too. Where a lot of their movies go straight to video. Like they don't you know, they don't right. even play in the theater. And I actually even see all of those. I've seen all of his most recent movies of which very few of them have played in theaters. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because, first of all, a lot of those are paycheck movies. Like he just, it's, you can tell. Right. He's not really invested. Um, but there is one that he did really recently called Army of One that has some kind of interesting similarities to this one. Not in terms of really? quality, but in terms of, like, the meta element to this, mm-hmm. which is that, like, um, they... Uh, there's this whole concept of, in in this movie, Army of One, he plays another real person. Um, It's this crazy story of this guy who decided, just this random, you know, U.S. citizen who decided he was going to be the one to go over and find Bin Laden. His idea was, like, you know, (laughs) somebody's going to find him, and, you know, it could be me, I'm going to go. So he he made Uh multiple trips and ended up being interviewed, you know, by all these you know, today's show and the view and all these, this, the real person I'm talking about, the movie, he, he ended up right. on all these talk shows and stuff because people found this fascinating that there was this guy who just decided, I'm going to go find him. And uh, so Nicholas Cage plays that guy, this, this story wow. of that guy. And so halfway through the movie, you know, they say, oh, we're making a movie out of, out of your life. Who do you want to play? What do you think, like Clint Eastwood or... Um, well, they gave another really like random example. Like I feel like it was Sean Connery or something. And um, and he goes, "How about that Nick Cage? How about that Nick Cage?" People say I look like Nick Cage. You know, Nick Cage from Con Air. So Nick Cage himself is talking about himself and his movie Con Air within this other movie. And it has oh, these wow. kind of like very same self-referential kind of things that adaptation also has in in, in weird ways. It's it's yeah. again that kind of meta. I was actually half, I was half expecting that at the very end of adaptation when he says, I wonder who's going to play me. And then yeah. who did he, I, I half expected him to say Nicolas Cage, and then he referenced Gerard Depardieu, which is 10 times funnier. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I have not even heard of that, so I will have to check it out. It's interesting. I'm not sure that I would necessarily say, I think there are other movies even even other of his, like, you know, direct-to movies that are better than that one. I'm not saying it's it's the best one that he's done or anything. It's just kind of one of the more memorable ones, just because it's so weird. And the other reason that I think it's kind of interesting is Nick Cage has really, from, like, from the time he burst on the scene, has had affectations that he brings to roles that are just mm-hmm. ideas that come into his head. He's a bizarre guy. And, like, you, you know, yeah. if you've ever seen movies like, what is the uh, Vampire's Kiss? Have you ever seen that movie, Vampire's Kiss? No. Like, the way no. he talks in that movie, or even Con Air to a certain extent, that, like, really just strange southern drawl that, like, yeah. like where in the world is this guy from? And yeah. so the reason I'm saying that is because Nicolas Cage said that for this movie, he didn't acknowledge any of his own acting instincts, that he shut that down completely and just listened to whatever Spike Jones asked him to do, which I think is really interesting because I don't think that has ever happened before, at least that I'm aware of, that he was like, I'm going to trust the director to like completely do this one for me. Because usually he shows up with this just completely 
bonkers character yeah. in his head. Yeah. And no, this is the guy. <laughs> and so it's really interesting that he just like, nope, this one, I'm, I'm going to take somebody else's advice. And it led to an Oscar nomination. And some yeah. of the best reviewed work that he ever did, has done. I shouldn't yeah. say ever did, but has done. Yeah, you know, I I fell in love with Moonstruck at a really, really young age, and he is so funny in that, that I just, I had a soft spot for him. And, and I, too, I mean, I was in the theater with the rest of them for The Rock and Face Off and Con Air and that sort of mm-hmm. string of big blockbusters we were talking about. And um, so, yeah, you just sort of have, you know, some actors are nostalgic in, in that yeah. way. He's just good. Yeah. He's good when he wants to be good. Yeah. Yeah, when he's invested in something, he really is capable. Did you see a movie he did a few years ago called Joe? Yes. So good. He was really good in that, too. And I remember at the time, you know, again, he'd been making these movies, but nobody was watching them because they were all directed. Right. And, in fact, Joe might have been, too. It it might have been a limited thing, but it wasn't. It didn't get much of a release. But that was one of those, like... This is going to be his comeback movie, even though, again, like, he was never really out of it, out of it. But, you know, this is going to be him back to the awards ceremony kind of thing, which it didn't happen for him. But he is one of those guys that I think at some point will have that, you know, that role again. So I think so. I think so. Yeah, I I, I liked Joe, the the kid in Joe, Ty Ty Sheridan. Yeah. um, He was also in Mud. He's right. he's a very very talented young actor. I have a feeling he's um, going to be very very successful. Yeah. Um, and Chris Cooper, who's another one, you know, it's one of those things where uh, all three of these could like arguably steal the film. You know, I mean, they're all oh, yeah. really well cast. Chris Cooper, I I'm not sure if um, I'm not sure outside of American Beauty if he's really ever had much of a better role than this either. Oh, I, yeah, I think this is one of, I think it's certainly one of his best performances. He's so, he he also is very nostalgic for me. I will tell you that I cannot call him by his name. I actually call him oh, really? Eli Johnson. Really? Because the, wow. he he's in, he's in Lonesome Dove with Robert yeah. Duvall. And, and, and yeah, he, he's Julia Johnson to me. I mean, I, you know, I saw that when I was so young. Uh, my yeah. dad is a, a rancher, and I grew up on Westerns, and Lonesome Dove was a big deal when it, when it aired on TV the first time. And, and uh, yeah, he's always stuck with me as July. He's, he's one of our really gifted character actors, too. He's somebody that, oh, you know, it so was... Oh, so wonderful. Um, do you know... Have you read at all uh, that this that that role almost went to Joaquin Phoenix? Did you to, know that? Um, the one in the adaptation? adaptation? Oh, yeah. no, I did not know that. Yeah, so Joaquin didn't... Phoenix did multiple auditions for it. And to his credit, Joaquin Phoenix is another one of those guys that I, I never get excited about seeing him in a the movie. There's something about him that I'm always like, okay, well, he's in it too. But you know what? he surprises me over and over again. Like, he's one of those guys who really is good. But there's also something off-putting about him. I think it's his personality. Mm-hmm. Like, he does that He does that weird stuff sometimes that you just go, I, I don't get what you're doing. Like, uh, yeah. But um, yeah. 
So to his credit, anyway, he uh, he went very far along in the audition process and actually took himself out of it. He said, I don't think I'm right for this. And I could be wrong, but I think he actually might have been the person who suggested Chris Cooper for this. That's interesting. You know, what what makes Chris Cooper so wonderful in that role is that the character himself on paper is, is a little off-putting. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's sort of narcissistic and and <laughs> self-involved and, and just sort of an odd, odd duck with an right. interesting backstory. I think why Chris Cooper works so beautifully in that role beyond being a great actor is that he sort of has an inherent likability. Yeah. Um, which you need because with all, with all that narcissism and strangeness, there's, you know, your audience has to has to become attached and 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 root for him, and I certainly did. Right. Well, it it's, it kind of ebbs and flows throughout the yeah throughout the movie, which is kind of um, you know, an interesting element to it. Like the the scene where he and Merle are momentarily lost in the swamp. Oh and, yeah. You know when he puts up that that sundial. And he gets, you know, he gets momentarily really excited about her reaction. You know, you can tell he, he's thinking, oh, this is going to impress her. And it doesn't impress her. It, it concerns her because she looks at it and goes, uh, you don't know how to get us out of here. And he can read that and becomes very, he shuts down and he becomes very defensive yeah. and, and, and starts walking away and calling her names. Um, you know, yeah. that, that's a, that's a scene that's really hard for me to watch because it's just, it's so mean spirited what he's saying you know i mean i can i can recognize in him like that he feels rejected in that moment and that's what's bringing out his response but it's just like the things that he says are so hateful that it's it's hard to see that was a moment for me as well and i think i i i think for me um if it had been anybody else say joaquin phoenix Mm-hmm. I think I may have just gotten the sense that he was sort of a mean nature. I, you know, he, I mean, he puts up the porn sites. I mean, he's really a quite yeah. terrible person in so many yeah. ways. Um, but I think I think the thing with Chris Cooper that's so wonderful is that you could you could really see why he was lashing out in that moment. You could you could see all the reasons for it, like you just explained. And uh, that just takes a really talented actor to get your audience there to be like, oh, he's he's wounded. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and like you say, there are moments where you genuinely like him. He, you know, he just seems like a oh, kind yeah. of bonkers character, but not in evil. But yeah, you know, I'd actually kind of forgotten, and I certainly forgot in between whenever I saw this movie the first time and this time about that whole porn segment and and how yeah. that is. You know, for you know, I assume that was a body double for the shot with Meryl. Dude, yeah, I don't know, um, but you know, that was. Really, I, I had completely forgotten about that element and, and found myself going, this is, like, we're really walking into something that is out there at this point. Uh, you know, we're in the middle yeah. of the swampland here, and, you know, it's just, <laughs> this is this is where Susan Orlean, the real person, ends, and this, you know, this very, very <laughs> unusual detour <laughs> begins so right far. here. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting. Um, I I don't know. Speaking of people who were almost in this movie, so we talked about Jonathan Demme almost directed it. Joaquin Phoenix uh-huh. almost played Chris Cooper's role, and do you know who almost played Nicolas Cage's role? Who? 
it's actually not that weird uh, with with Tom Hanks. I think back when Jonathan Demme was going to be directing it, he was going to be. I can kind of see that. Yeah, it would have been. I mean, he's certainly you know capable of playing those two characters. Yeah, I I think I think he most certainly is. He's he's very talented. It's so interesting. The film is so strange. Yeah, it would have been (laughs) a departure for him at that period of his career. Yeah. Yeah. And I think 2002, that's right around the time of, like, Castaway, I think, Castaway. and, like, Road to Perdition right in there. And so, you know, he was doing stuff. I mean, Castaway isn't, isn't an odd choice for him, but Road to Perdition was. You know, that was the first time he'd ever played a bad guy. So I think maybe yeah. that was the period of time where he was, you know, um, kind of looking to shake things up a little bit. Although, like I say, maybe that's not true because this is earlier when Jonathan Demme was going to be directing it. So I guess, take, yeah, maybe that's not accurate time-wise, but... Um, you know, maybe it was just so interesting a, a concept that, you know, he couldn't resist. But um, <laughs> it would have been a very different movie, I think, but it, it could have worked. Yeah, I think it would have worked. Yeah, very different. It's so fascinating. I wish, don't you ever just have the complete utter urge to see the other version of the film directed yeah. by somebody else with other people starring, the alternative reality of that? Yeah. This one seems so specific. There's something about the screenplay, you know, the being John Malkovich element to it mm-hmm. seems so specific that this movie being done by other people doesn't seem possible in a weird way. I don't it know why. It almost feels like a sequel to being yeah. John Malkovich, even though they're yes. completely unrelated, but the fact that it starts with that film set um, yeah. and the activity there, it, it really, they feel like a unit that they belong yeah. together. No, very much. That's that's one of the things I feel about this movie is it made me want to go back and revisit being John Malkovich too, you know? Yeah. Um so anyway. It it was up for a whole bunch of awards. Actually, you know, what do you have favorite moments or favorite scenes from this movie? Because I had a really specific one in terms of Merrill, actually. Um, I think I have two. The first one, just because it made me laugh, was when she goes to the nursery for the first time looking for John LaRoche, Chris Cooper's character, and um, she meets one of the workers at the nursery who who is just fixated on her hair. Oh, yeah. um, I I love her. Her reaction is so real. Mm -hmm. Her reaction is what my reaction would be if somebody did that to me, you know, as, as women, basically for those of you who haven't seen the film, you know, he, she's trying to ask him a question about where John LaRoche is. He's like, wow, you have great hair. And he grabs her hair. And um, instead of saying, Hey, can you please respect my personal space? She's like, Oh, uh, uh, thank you. Um, I, you know, I, I just shampooed it. Yeah. Which is a, is a woman's total natural reaction, right? To like right. dismiss the compliment or somehow normalize it by saying something bizarre like I just washed it. Well, in my interpretation of that moment was was what you just said, but it was also this idea of like making sure she was safe because she was in an unfamiliar area with yes. unfamiliar people and here is this man who comes up to her, you know, well, it doesn't come up to her, she kind of approached him, but you know, like you say, kind of not violates her, but she didn't invite personal contact in that moment. Right. And, and he reached out and touched her hair. And so there was that there was that flash of, um, you know, she she diffused the situation by not um, by not making him feel 
awful about what he'd done, but also kind of making it awkward enough that she could escape the moment and not invite Yeah, normalizing it. Yeah. 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 Which is a whole other thing, of course. You know. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing was the dinner party. When everyone was inviting her to tell stories about about John LaRoche and how strange he was and and she she played along um, to, to 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 clearly fit her role um uh-huh. in, in that world and then you, you know she steps off into the bathroom and has a moment by herself because it's really affecting her yeah. and um goes back and participates i can't i can't tell you and i think those are the two scenes for me because i identify with it i can't tell you how many times i've stepped out of a party to have a moment in the bathroom and just take a uh-huh. breath because yeah. you have that on switch on and you don't you almost have an out of body experience where you feel like, man, you know, I just, I just don't. I'm not identifying with anything that's going on. I'm not tapped into this crowd. There's sort of that element of being an outsider and really questioning whether or not you 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 belong there, and then having to step back in and and turn the button back on and try and 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 try and fake it is sometimes difficult. So. I just really identified with both of those scenes. Those were powerful for me. Yeah. You know, I, a fun fact for that, you know, in that dinner party scene, you know who cameos in that in that scene? Do you know who one of the dinner guests is? Who? David O. Russell, the director. Is he really? I didn't even see him. Yeah. No, he's in there. It's, um, yeah, he's the, for anybody who doesn't know, he's the guy, the fighter and joy and, you know, all these, um, what else has he done? He's done a lot of things. Three Kings. Um, he's a guy who works uh, with American Jennifer Hustle. Lawrence. And, yeah, Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Adams and Robert De Niro all the time. He's the one who David O. Russell is now doing a TV show with De Niro and Julianne Moore. They're doing an Amazon um, pilot, which we talked about last time. But anyway, right. yeah, so a little cameo of him. Um, my favorite scene, uh, Meryl Wise, and actually I think throughout the whole movie, in fact, is um, kind of towards, I was going to say the end, but maybe it's towards the middle more, is the scene where, uh, I want to make sure I'm saying it right, I think it's Donald Kaufman kind of sits in mm-hmm. for Charlie Kaufman. So so Charlie Kaufman goes to New York <laughs> so that he can interview Susan Orlean. He thinks that's what's going to help him write this uh, you know, adaptation. Who's, what's going to help him write this movie is is meeting her and and kind of getting a connection with her. But he's also kind of too chicken to actually encounter her. So, so his twin brother Donald comes out, and Donald is again kind of experiencing nothing but good in his life. So he sits in for he pretends to be Charlie, and he goes and he meets Susan Orlean, and um, they have this just very interesting meeting and. Um, you know, it's it, there's a lot, there are layers to that specific mm-hmm. scene, and she has to play three or four different layers at the same time. Uh, she has to communicate something to him, she has to communicate something to us, and she has, like, yeah. internal reactions to the whole thing, too, which, which I think you can, you know, see. It's that kind of great acting where you can see the thinking going on. It's not, okay, I know what my next line is, I'm going to say it. It's you know, listening to what your other actor is telling you, you know, responding to it yeah. and having a reaction to it as if you are that real person, which is another level that really the great ones are able to do. And um, I love that scene, that that scene where, you know, we kind of figure out that 
she's lying and that she is, well, we kind of as the audience already know that she's probably still involved with LaRoche. But, you yeah. know, she's trying to keep that away from from Charlie and Donald, although she just, she thinks it's just Charlie. But, um, yeah, I love that scene. There are just, there's so much going on. And the scene at the, you know, the very last moment where he says, you know, if you could dine with anybody past or present, <laughs> you know, and, and you find yourself thinking, where is this going? That's, a, you know, I mean, that's like such a cliche question to be asking, but that's the reason it's asked is, you know, that's what he's looking for. Is she going to give a real answer here or is she going to give, you know, like he says, a prepackaged, you know, answer so that right. you know she's she's full of it and she gives the prepackaged answer. So he becomes suspicious of her that, that she's withholding something. And that's what kind of sets off the whole third act because right. he then is suspicious of her and so starts following her and indeed she flees back to Florida to be with LaRoche, um, which, you know, then it sets off the whole third act, like we said. So I, I love that scene. I think it's you just know, the, the, great acting. The best actors, yeah, the, the, the best actors and obviously Meryl Streep is the best at this and this is why I love watching her. You could technically put the film on mute. Yeah. Uh, you know, it has absolutely nothing to do with what the words that are coming out of her mouth. It's everything else. Right. Um, that she communicates to an audience. Um, I, it's just amazing to watch. I'm yeah. super envious that she can do it that deftly. She's really amazing. Yeah. So this is one of those, uh, like we discussed earlier, the script is also so good that you don't want to do that because the language yeah. is so is so enjoyable that you want to hear the great words too. But like you say, you know, she could have carried this in a whole other way. Um, so she was nominated for an Oscar for this. She won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress. Um, it was interesting. I actually just watched right before calling you here. I, I watched mm-hmm. that speech that she gave, which maybe I'll include that here at the end of the episode, her her win. It's a pretty funny speech. Um, that was one, I don't know if you remember it or not, but she, she made a joke oh. about, she didn't have a speech prepared because she said she'd been nominated so many times but never won anything yes, anymore. Yes, I do, rem- do remember that speech. That's amazing. I didn't realize it was for that. Yeah. So she was, she was basically was like, I've been nominated, but I haven't won anything in years. So, you know, I, I didn't even bother <laughs> preparing anything because I just never win anymore. And um, so it's kind of a, a rambling speech, but it's really funny. And um, so it was interesting to see who the, you know, who the other people were, um, ver- you know, in the, in the Golden Globes versus the Oscars, because it changed. Kathy Bates um, and Queen Latifah were in both, um, but Susan Sarandon was nominated at um, the Golden Globes, and Cameron Diaz was nominated for Gangs of New York. And at the Oscars, oh, oh. it was a little different. Yeah, at, at, <laughs> um, at the... Oscar, it was uh, her, Kathy Bates, and Queen Latifah, and oh, there was somebody else. And Catherine Zeta-Jones won for Chicago. Oh, and, um, I remember that year. Yeah, Chicago won a bunch of stuff that year. And, okay, I don't know. Um, I'm yeah. not a huge fan of that particular one. I'm. It is what it is. You know, the musical thing, when you sing and dance and act in a movie, you're kind of more likely to win usually than somebody who's yeah. acting. But um, it was 
it was very oh Julianne Moore was the other one who was nominated for the hours um, for okay. for the Oscars that year, and it was interesting because Sean Connery was the presenter at the Oscars, and so he and Catherine Zeta Jones had worked together before, and so when he you know announced who had won, he just said uh, and you know and the Oscar goes to Catherine was all he said instead of Catherine Zeta Jones for Chicago he just said Catherine, and it was interesting because. Queen Latifah immediately just screams yes. I mean, you can audibly hear her scream yes. Oh, she was no. really enthusiastic. No, no, she was enthused for Catherine. It, oh, Jones. excited. Okay. Yeah, yes. <laughs> what? Um, but Kathy Bates has this very blank look on her face that if you, like, I just watched on YouTube and all these yeah. people are going, Kathy Bates is so pissed. But if you think about it, I think she was probably confused because he had just said Catherine yeah. and she was tr- probably trying to register because, you know, it only, like, stays on your face for a couple of seconds. But it really yeah. is funny. Her facial expression is just like, wait a second, what? And, uh, you know, Meryl Streep and Julianne Moore are both pretty good at the, oh, good for you, you know, like, you know, acting enthused even though they just lost. But had you heard the story that Kathy Bates has told many, many times about what happened after that? No. She said that Meryl Streep walked over to her and, you know, after, like, when it went to commercial and said something about, this is bullshit. We were robbed. Let's go get a drink. And she said the two of them just left, went out to the bar and got a drink. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I remember remember hearing Kathy Bates tell that story. She's told it several times, but she said it was the most, like, Betty Davis, Joan Crawford kind of, thing that she'd ever witnessed. That kind it's of gotta like, be so gratifying ridiculous. to have Meryl yeah. Streep come up to you and say, You've been robbed. Yeah. Well <laughs> and and it you know, to a certain extent kind of puts you on the same you know, that's taking you in as a peer, basically. Yeah. You know, which is a nice thing. So um yeah. Anything else to say about this particular film? No, it was a wild ride. I would recommend it to anybody. I, I really I would. would. Even yeah. one time, it's it's worth it. It is. Pay attention to it. But yes, absolutely, check it out. It's not a movie that has um, that has aged in any way. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing about no, it that's yeah. outdated or anything. Uh, for yeah, a movie that's 15 years old, it's you know contemporary and it's it works. Yeah, it does. It holds up. Yeah. So. Except for maybe his typewriter. <laughs> yeah. Although I think and the computers. Just, yeah, yeah, although, I, you know, now that you say that, yeah, but that didn't take me out of the movie, and sometimes no, it does. No, no, not at all. Yeah. yeah that's true. And no, it didn't. And it almost felt like a character, like a character choice, like that guy was always going to type on a typewriter like that. Right. Even if it was 2016. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. I didn't, that's, I think, why <laughs> that element didn't take me out, because I think some, some writers still prefer it that way. So um, let's move on to our other couple of quick segments. Let's do our, sure. you want to do our, uh, should we do the six degrees or the movies Meryl was almost in segment first? Let's do, let's do six degrees because I, okay. I took, granted I didn't try very hard, but I took like two seconds to do six degrees from Sylvester Stallone to Meryl Streep and was like, uh, I think I'm going to leave this one to Zach. Did, did you try to do Sure <laughs> Nightly at all? Oh, yeah, because we talked about Cure Nightly. Um, yeah. um, no, but surely I can do it. It turns out I'm quite terrible at this game, even though I'm a walking dictionary. Yeah. There was one that popped into my head. Film. 
Yeah. There was one that yeah. popped into my head immediately, which was um, mostly because I'm such a big fan of him, too, but she was in a movie with Steve Carell called Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, and Steve Carell yes. was in Hope Springs with Meryl Streep, so that was a pretty... Oh, my gosh. I don't even remember. I mean, I saw Hope Springs, but I don't remember anything about it beyond Tommy Lee Jones and Meryl Streep. So, again... <laughs> yes. No, Steve Perel's in it. He's got a pretty good role. It's it's a it's it's a two hander, but there's a you know there's a solid three in there. So, um, yeah, I'm sure there are other ones. I'm sure there's a connection somewhere in Love Actually. There's got to be a connection in Love Actually to somebody. I, I can't think off the top of my head of somebody, but you know, I'm thinking of like. Uh, didn't Meryl Streep and Liam Neeson do a film together? Yeah, they did. Am You're I right. That Before up? and yeah. after. Before and after yeah. they did. And actually, yeah. Kira Knightley is in um, a movie called Everest that came out a year or two ago, too. And Jake Gyllenhaal mm-hmm. is in that, and he was in Rendition with her. So, or wait, no, no, Lions. Yeah, no, it was Rendition. She did two political ones back to back. One was called Rendition, and the other was called Lions for Lambs. And I sometimes get them confused. It, they're not at all similar, but they both have like three or four super yeah, I- famous people in them. <laughs> I saw Lions for Lambs and again remember nothing about it. Our audience is going to think that I don't remember anything about any of the movies I've seen, which is not true. It just happens to be a lot of scenes for whatever reason. I did not see Rendition, so that's another one that's going to be new for me. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's good. Um, all right, so then Sylvester Stallone, so you did, you came up with one for him or you No, didn't? I absolutely didn't. Okay, so there, there were <laughs> a few. What's he doing? Cliffhanger? John Lithgow? Has she done something with John Lithgow? She was on Broadway with Lithgow in something. Oh, does that yeah. count? It counts with me, sure, because I think they did put out <laughs> the Broadway series or whatever put, did put it out. You know, they do that every once in a while. They put stuff out, and it's this really, like, limited series thing. I think it was called right. Secret Service, but anyway. Okay. Um, there were a few that came to mind. There was one that came to mind immediately. I've not even seen the movie, but he was in a movie called Assassins in the mid-'90s with Julianne Moore, who, of course, was in The Hours. Oh, yeah. But the other one that came to mind, there were, like, three others that came to mind. He's, you know, Sylvester Stallone did those Expendables movies, and I know Bruce uh-huh. Willis was in at least one of those, and he was in Death Becomes oh, Her yeah. with Meryl. yeah. I know Sylvester Stallone has done at least one movie with De Niro. They did a boxing movie, some uh, like Grudge Match, I think it was called, a few years yes. ago. And they also did Topland together, I think, in the late 90s, which was like kind of an oddly dramatic role for Sylvester Stallone. He's actually kind of good in that movie. Like, yeah, I, I don't think he's down, but like... He like he's another one who like oh yeah he's like capable of like real acting it's you know not just Rocky like yeah. he can do some stuff um, and then the last one that came to mind was he did uh, Tango and Cash with Kurt Russell who was in Silkwood with Meryl Streep so oh wow yeah you were rocking it on Sylvester Stallone <laughs> yeah and I don't I don't think I've seen any of those movies <laughs> that I just described <laughs> that's amazing um, Sylvester Stallone I just know that they exist. Um, so go figure. I don't, uh, hopefully he's not listening to this podcast. I think he's good. But um, So who do we decide? I've already forgotten. Who do we decide for our next six degrees? I'm wondering if we can, um, I wonder if we can do it shifting generations. So somebody like John Wayne. Oh, wow. That's a great one. That would be hard. Yeah. So let's try that. Okay. Let's try that. I've got something cooking in my head. It won't be one or two steps. But I, 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 I think there's eight yeah, connections. I've got a, 
Yeah, I've got a few too from his later films. Yeah. So do you want to do a, a an older and a younger? Is that what you were saying? Sure. Yeah, let's do oh. that. Oh, I know what we had talked about earlier when we were trying to decide was Amy Poehler. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I let's see if we can yeah, connect let's do both of them. To yeah, we'll see. Okay. Neither one of those, not you know, like the last two. There's nothing that immediately is like, oh, I got it, kind of thing. And re- people can play along with this too. You can email answers to Meryl Street Podcast at gmail dot com. Um, all right, and then our other segment is the uh, Meryl Streep was also in, where we talk about movies that Meryl didn't make, but either, you know, was considered for, rejected, you know, somewhere along the line, she was, you know, attached at some point. Um, One of them is a really very, very famous uh, one. I'm sure you know of this. Do you know that she almost played Evita in the movie version of Evita that Madonna did? No. How do I not know this? I feel like I feel like I'm behind on everything on this podcast. No, that no, would have been phenomenal. Yeah. So there was a thing. I remember even when it came out that, you know, when that movie came down, that there were these rumors that Meryl Streep was super upset that that, Mer- that Madonna had taken this role from her, from this, uh, you know, from her perspective, that she had kind of done this thing. And I actually just looked it up, and there were two, two yeah. elements to it. One is that, Meryl was attached in the late 80s to do a film version. Okay. And that she pulled out. A lot out earlier. Yeah. She pulled out of it okay. saying she was exhausted. So I'm not sure at what point that would have been in her career. It was like 89, I think they were saying, uh, okay. which would have been interesting. And so anyway, they, they put the film on hold until they could get somebody. And I think it just kind of kept getting delayed, kept getting delayed. So I think at some point... Maybe she decided she wanted back in, or maybe not. But then years later, like I said, there was this very famous quote that she had allegedly said, where she said, I wanted to rip Madonna's throat out. I was so upset that she got that part. And then... That doesn't sound like her. Exactly. So Meryl Streep, within the last year or two, somebody asked her about that quote. She said, no, I never said that. I promise you. She said, I wouldn't say something like that. She said, I know that's out there on the Internet, but I promise you I didn't say that. So... That's one of those things. Speaking of, um, actually, in our last episode, we were talking about they're, you know, they're doing the Mary Poppins thing, and Angela Lansbury is involved. Do you remember I talked yeah. about how Angela Lansbury had dissed her? So I, yeah. I kind of followed up on that and looked up something, and um, they both acknowledged that that had been reported, but I guess Angela Lansbury called Meryl Streep and said, I didn't say those things. And so they, they buried the hatchet at some point. When that article came out that, you know, Angela Lansbury had allegedly said some kind of not nice things about Meryl Streep, Angela Lansbury then reached out to Meryl Streep and, you know, said, just so you know, I didn't say those things. And so she said, there's no hard feelings. They're totally fine, which is good. So anyway. Yeah, that sounds about right for Angela Lansbury, too. She seems like a real class act. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure there's nothing there. We don't need to be gossipy about it. Um, The other one. (laughs) is one of those that it's she's listed under like trivia on IMDb and a couple other websites, but there's no real story attached to it. But she um, apparently turned down this part, which implies, of course, that she was offered it in some way, which was um, a thriller that was made in the early 80s called The Postman Always Rings Twice, which is actually a remake yeah. um, that was done. And it ended up being played by Jessica Lange. It was opposite um, Jack Nicholson, who she did some yeah. movies later in the 80s with. 
So she apparently at some point turned down that role. Um, there are a few. The only thing that I could find was it was a little bit too like steamy that that wasn't really the direction she was looking to go at that point in her career. Yeah. So that might have been it. Yeah, maybe. It, um, it's interesting, it's sort of off the subject but related, um, it's interesting how often Jessica Lange and Meryl Streep cross paths. Yep. Um, King Kong being one of them, which is what we discussed last episode about that audition process, and Jessica Lange ended up getting the role. Right. There's there's several of those. I know Sweet Dreams is one, um, you know, yeah. which is the one, one of the two. Wait, no, that's not one of the two that... Jessica Lange won the Oscar for. She didn't win for that. Um, she won for that, Blue Skies. And Tootsie, Blue I think. Sky. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Tootsie. But that was one that she, I'm sure she was nominated for. But she turned down, uh, or not turned down. She played Patsy Cline in the movie, and that was mm-hmm. one that Meryl Streep was. Um, I think I saw something that she felt like that was the only time that she really went after a part that she didn't get or something like that, that she really campaigned to, you know, really? for a certain role and didn't get it. But then, of course, she was very complimentary about it and said, you know, once I saw it, I realized that nobody but Jessica Lang should play that part. But, you know, she said something to the effect of, you know, that was one of those roles that she really, really desperately wanted. So, go figure. Very gracious. I, yeah. um, this is slightly unrelated. I actually, I, I, I am actually. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call myself a full-blown impersonator, but I, I can impersonate Patsy Cline. Oh and, really? Um, well, you've been yeah, doing my, that. You've done that show a few times. The Patsy yeah, Cline show. Yeah, I've been always Patsy Cline quite a few times, and for whatever reason, I just my voice is a lot like hers. I will tell you, she is a riot to play. She's yeah. an amazing woman with an amazing voice, and playing her is is unbelievable. Just on just in that that small stage show, so I can't even imagine. I, I if I had been in Meryl Streep's shoes, I would have fought for that role too. The woman yeah. was amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. those are that's that's a fun one to play, and you know, it's kind of funny because those that one gets lumped in, I think, too often with uh, Sissy Spacek's doing the Loretta Lynn one just a few years earlier with Coal Miner's Daughter, which she did win the Oscar right. for that one. So, you know, sometimes yes. those, you know, the, like, country star biopic things get lumped together, but they're very, very different. Um, Sweet Dreams is such an interesting movie. And, uh, you know, the have you seen that one, the Patsy Cline one? That's just oh, yeah. The, I saw the, it when I was very young. It left an impression. The, the helicopter craft scene is harrowing. I mean, you know, I hate that scene and I love it. You know, plane it's crash, just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not the helicopter, yeah. the plane crash. But um yeah, it's just it's so you know, there's that moment of, oh my God, this is they're they're gonna show this and then oh everything's okay. Wait a second, she died in a plane crash. Are they really writing an alternate ending? Oh no, they're doing this. You know what I mean? Like there's that no, like, moment know. of false hope that's just so crazy. It gets me. So yeah. Oh, yeah, it's anyway. powerful. Yeah, it's, it's well done. So, well, this, you know, we made it through a whole episode without mentioning Glenn Close, too, so we may as well go all in. <laughs> Just go ahead and mention her. Toss her out there. <laughs> I'm, I w- it'll be a lot of fun when we get to the movie evening when, uh, oh, yeah. you know, Meryl Streep, Glenn Close, um, Meryl Streep's daughter, mm-hmm. um, or, Vanessa, or Vanessa Redgrave. She, yeah. Yeah. No, evening. Um, I see what you mean. Yeah, evening has a bunch of really, you know, 
young Very and powerful old. actresses and their children. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, but she and Glenn Close did House of the Spirits together too, and that one actually is yes. kind of. I think they have a little bit more together in that one, if I remember correctly. So yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that'll be good. So um, do you want to announce what our next movie is, where people can get to watching for our next episode? Yes, we've decided our next one is going to be Out of Africa, which is one I one of Meryl Streep's most famous roles, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be our next adventure. Yeah, I'm excited. We're starting with um, some heavy hitters, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Adaptation, it's, it's funny because I, as I was watching this, like I said, I was it was so... Um, I had to really pay attention, and I kept thinking, was this one my idea? Why did we start with this one? You know, like, there would have been easier <laughs> routes to begin with one. We really started with one that hopefully won't put anybody off, because it's not the easiest Meryl Streep movie that there is. But it's worth it, I think. And Out of Africa might oh, yeah. be in the same category. Although Out of Africa is not hard to follow plot line. It's not hard to follow what's happening. It's just, I think it's, you know, it's an epic, so it's longer, you know, and it's, you know, not slow, but it's it's it goes at a, a certain pace. So, um, yeah, and it definitely has a certain style. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think this is a good place to to call it for today, unless you have anything to uh, add for adaptation. No, no, I am good. I'm looking forward to next time. And yeah, me too. You know, everyone, cool. Everyone, tune in. Yeah, thanks everybody for listening, and um, I'll I'll put up the maybe the Golden Globes acceptance speech just for fun on our way out here. So enjoy, and we'll see you next time. Here are the nominees. Kathy Bates, About Schmidt. Cameron Diaz, Gangs of New York. Queen Latifah, Chicago. Susan Sarandon, Igby Goes Down. Meryl Streep, Adaptation. And the award goes to Meryl Streep. nominated 789 times and I was getting so settled over there for a long winter's nap. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, I didn't have anything prepared because it's been like since the Pleistocene era that I won anything. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Okay. Yoga. I'm really so thrilled and um, so happy to have been able to work with this amazing group of youngsters over here (laughs) in adaptation. The prodigiously talented Nick Cage, the graceful and um, so gifted Chris Cooper. 
I'm, it's because of them I'm here. And of course, Spike and Susan Orlean, that I, I apologize, you know, for <laughs> the second half. And, uh, and to Charlie Kaufman, who tried very hard to adapt your book, Susan. <laughs> Uh, and did such a beautiful job. It's just an amazing film, and I'm so glad. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you!